welcome to Fireside Chats on the Young Mind, brought to you by Old Firehouse School. I'm Alexandra Dutton. I'm the program director of Old Firehouse School in Lafayette. And my co-host today is Judy House, who's the program director of Walnut Creek. Today, we're going to talk with Carrie Rodriguez and Katrinka Ford, two people we've been working with and have known for a long time. And we're going to talk with them about a topic that has always been a little bit tricky and in some ways, sometimes scary or upsetting for families, helping children who have needs beyond a typical classroom setting. And that may mean a lot of different things. It might mean speech. It might mean behavior. It might mean some other cognitive issues. And these things might improve with some outside help. But understanding what that might be feels very daunting for many families. Carrie, it's nice to talk with you again. You had two of your children with us and they're now very big and not here. But thank you for coming back and talking with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Carrie Rodriguez. I'm a licensed educational school psychologist and a preschool program specialist. I also work for CalExi, which is the California Early Childhood Special Education Network, which is funded by the California Department of Ed. So I'm very versed on assessment practices for early childhood and, and preschool special education. And I'm happy to be here to talk about this today. Thank you so much. And Katrinka is a therapist we've been working with also for many years. Katrinka, will you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Katrinka Ford. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm also a registered play therapist, meaning I work primarily with children in my practice. And I have extensive training and experience specifically using play to work with children and mental health. And the thing that I forgot about, which is silly, is that you actually taught preschool as well for 20 years. I did. I taught preschool for about 20 years, if you add them all up. Yes, I have been working with and studying children in a lot of different ways for many years. Well, we're so grateful that both of you are here. And between Judy and and me, we've both been teaching in early childhood for, I don't know, a combined like 40 years-ish or something. Right, Judy? (laughs) Probably closer to 50. (laughs) Yeah, right. And both of us have been part of Old Firehouse School for a very long time. For me, it's been 17 years. For Judy, now how many years has it been? Uh, 22. 22. Okay, yeah. So a long time. So we also have a lot of experience of working with families and children. And I think we're becoming maybe... I don't know if more confident, but more aware of how to help families see the support that might be beneficial for their children. And I think we're going to talk about this towards the end of the podcast, post-pandemic. I still hate calling it post-pandemic. Where we are in the pandemic, we are noticing some things and we're trying to be really proactive about making sure we're able to give family support where they need it. As preschool teachers, we're sometimes the first people to notice a child whose behavior is outside of typical. And that range is really big. And we want families to know that our teachers have a wealth of knowledge and expertise of child development. And sometimes group care or classroom setting makes it easier to see a child who needs help. So when a child is recommended to be assessed or seek further support, what does that usually mean? Or what will an assessment entail? I always take it really seriously when a family calls me and says, oh, my preschool teachers recommended I reach out to the school district. Because exactly what you just said, preschool teachers see 
this whole range of children. So when a preschool teacher becomes concerned about a, a child, I know that they know child development, they're experts in child development, and they have this norming sample right in front of them. So if a child is standing out to a preschool teacher, then I take that seriously. I want to go see that child. I want to go observe them. I want to know more like what's going on at school. It's something that I really listen to and I want to know more about and I want to understand more what's going on. So I think it's really wise when a parent takes the next step to reach out and get more information about assessments available when a preschool teacher flags something because they do. They are experts. They're around a lot of children. They know that something's different. And because early intervention is so essential. So 90% of brain development happens in those first five years. And it is so much easier to intervene for young minds. There's so much research around this versus when you're 20 or 40 or 50, it's so much harder for us to make changes in our brain. Brains are so, there's so much like neurowiring going on. So I want to assess early as a school psychologist. I want to intervene early. The earlier, the better. Those like zero to five years are key. An assessment, what does that look like? From zero to three, Families can go through the regional center or the family resource networks that are local for free assessments in the five main areas of development. That's speech, motor, cognition, social, emotional behavior, and language and communication and play. Regional centers will look at those areas. And if there's delays in any of those areas, they will provide intervention in those areas. And that's all free for families before age three. You just have to find your local regional center for Walnut Creek and Lafayette, it's the regional center East Bay. Above age three, you can get a free assessment through your school district if there are concerns. Now for school districts, they're looking at disability categories. So it's a little bit different. They're looking at, does a child have a disability? And that can be things like a speech and language impairment, autism, an intellectual disability. So that can feel a little bit more loaded for families. So those are the two different methods of getting a public assessment. There's also the private road and maybe Katrina can talk more about that. So when families contact me, it's often because there's something off behaviorally. Either at school, the child is not following directions, not able to follow the school norms, is aggressive. And again, I really appreciate that the two of you understand that you are on the front lines of early intervention because you've seen lots and lots of children. You understand when something is like, oh, this is normal behavior, You're just kind of getting the extreme end of this versus no, this is really something different. This is outside of normal and ought to be addressed. So parents often come to me when there's something off behaviorally and they're trying to understand it. And the first thing I do is my own assessment process where I'm trying to rule out, is there a disability in this picture? Is that why we're getting this crazy, wacky looking behavior? Because there's something off with speech and language development, because the child is on the spectrum and might need more support. When a family comes to see me, the first thing I do is just talk to the parents. That very first session is I'm just talking to the parents. And the next couple of sessions, I'm seeing the child with a parent. And part of the time, I'm kind of running them through some games and activities. And I'm kind of checking. How's their gross motor? How's their fine motor? What Do things look all of a pattern developmentally? Or does something look really off? In which case, if something looks really off, I'm then going to recommend that they consult the regional center or look to the school district for assessment or consult an OT. There's something off that I can't address. But if it's a behavioral issue, the child might be getting speech and language, but then I'm working with the family 
to how do we best parent the child given this deficit, given this need? What's the best way to parent this child? And what's really wonderful about the work that I do is that I can often, like Carrie said, there's a lot of brain development going on right now. And if you get things going in the right direction, you don't have to undo it later. Whereas if the family goes through many years of struggling with the child's behavior, you would then have a lot of patterns that have gotten really ingrained that you have to undo before you can get the new patterns established. So the younger a child comes in for intervention, the younger a family comes in for intervention, the easier it is to get things going in the right direction. And then the brain development, the social development is all layering on top of that. I just want to add to that behavior in preschoolers is communication. So when you're seeing big behaviors in preschool, that child's trying to communicate that something's very hard for them. And often when I go into a general ed preschool and there's tantruming or lack of engagement, I'm thinking something in this environment is challenging. And is it because there's communication challenges or social communication challenges or sensory challenges? If it's continually happening, then I want to know, like, what is this child communicating to us that's difficult for them? And sometimes that does involve an assessment to determine if there's an underlying disability that could be some testing with the child, but a lot of it is talking with the teachers and the parents, doing standardized rating scales to look at the behaviors to determine if they relate to a certain disability, doing lots of observations because child experts know those symptoms of autism, symptoms of sensory challenges, all those things are ways that we do assessments and generating lots of data to put it all together to determine what is making this child's life hard in preschool right now. (laughs) What are the underlying factors that's making preschool hard for this child right now. I like what you both were saying about how important it is to get things going earlier, the earlier, the better because of that brain development. And also just that compassion we can have for a child who is struggling that they aren't trying to, like you said, Carrie, behavior is communication. They're not trying to make things challenging for everybody. Like they're struggling and they are having a difficult time managing. So a lot of times the work that they might need to do outside of school is going to help with a lot of that of just helping them understand the routines or how to interact with people. And it's support, it's getting them what they need to be successful. So that leads into my next question. What does that work look like with children? And I realize that the way a speech therapist is going to work with the child is going to be different than maybe what Katrinka, what you're going to do as an, an MFT. But is there a general way that it looks? We're obviously not envisioning children sitting on a couch telling their life stories. How does that look for children? <laughs> when I see movies or TV shows, when they've got a young child in therapy, and they're just sitting there talking to the therapist, I'm like, no, that is not what happens. <laughs> My room is, is full of toys. I've got a couch and a comfy chair and shelves and shelves of toys. So when a family comes in, it's a very welcoming environment. Parents often ask, what should I tell my child before they come? And they say, most kids get my room. They don't care why they're there. They're walking into this room full of toys and they're meeting a friendly person and they really don't care why they're there. It feels good. As a play therapist, one of our understandings is that a child is not a voluntary client. So if I take myself for therapy, it might be an unpleasant experience, but I've got a goal in mind and I know why I'm doing it. But a child is living in the moment and they need their needs met in that moment 
for safety, for communication, and for fun, for the ability to play. So my environment, I really strive to be a welcoming place. And then how I work with a specific family, when I'm working with children under eight, I almost never see them individually. I'm almost always working with the family, either with parent-child dyads or with the family as a whole unit. Because as Dr. Winnicott said, there's no such thing as a baby. There's because a child that's a social creature. And so individual therapy with young children can be effective, but seeing the child in their primary social environment is going to be the most effective way. So most of the time I'm working with the child and the parent together in the room. So we've had families say, how long will this take? Or will they have to be in therapy forever? Or conversely, do you think he'll be better in six months? Like, what would you say to families who are concerned about this? I typically tell parents that I don't know. I won't know until I get in and have a better understanding of what's going on. But what I can tell you is the earlier you start, the less therapy you're likely to need in the long term and the better the outcome. So if your child's having problems at four and five, they might resolve for a few years. Things might look better. But then if they begin to unravel, it's going to be a lot more difficult than to treat them when they're young. And unless there's an underlying issue like a disability or a severe trauma history, most children six to eight months is about how long I typically work with families before they're like, oh, we got this. And then often they'll call me in a few years for an update. Oh, this issue came up. Would you help us with it? But often the work is done in, in six to eight months. And in terms of other areas that assessments may reveal, like a speech impairment, or autism or something that may be more intensive than play therapy can address. An assessment in itself can take a few months. So it's not something you want to wait on. And the wait list can take many months. So it's not something you kind of want to wait and see. I never tell my families who call me to wait and see. I never use those words. I don't think there's time. I don't think there's time to wait and see when you have this really right brain that is just firing neurons and ready for growth. So I don't ever just see how it's going to play out. I'd rather just do the assessment and get the information. And if there's areas of need, start doing intervention because it doesn't hurt. There's nothing, no child has ever been hurt by getting extra help. They don't know like these great adults working with them are interventionists. They just think there's someone here to play with them. So it's a great time to just throw in some extra intervention. It's not really going to hurt them. The parents might have to suffer a little bit because maybe they worry a little bit, but for the kid, it doesn't have any long-term harm. So I always recommend, okay, you're worried. Let's do an assessment. Let's find out what's going on. And if we see areas of need, let's intervene because I've seen over my career how that has helped so many children. And I'm so happy when I like get to see them in high school. And I'm just like, I'm so glad we intervened. Oh my gosh, can you believe he came in without speaking? He couldn't speak. And oh, can you remember the tantrums? And oh my gosh, look at him in high school now. I just always recommend if you're really, really worried, do the assessment, get the intervention. If you're worried about that label, I still recommend do the assessment. take the intervention because the label could fade with the intervention. It's like, don't let the worry stop you from getting the child the help the child needs because whether or not the label's there, the child still needs the help. Don't let it stop you. Like let that fear of a label or an assessment or a report stop you from getting a child help if the child needs help. Carrie, the label part, it's so true that just sadly families are like, I don't want anyone to know they're getting 
help or they're seeing somebody else. It is so much that's like the adult brain. Like you said, the kids have no idea. They're not at all going to feel like I'm bad or I have shame because I need more help. They don't see it that way. But not at this age. No, we we definitely have had children who have gotten help and the parents like I don't want anyone to know that person is here for my kid. And of course, there's so much confidentiality that that isn't something we discuss anyway. There's that stigma, which I hope that through listening to both of you that our families can feel like there doesn't need to be that stigma. Like if your child needs help, get them that help. If your child needed to go to the doctor because they had the flu, like you wouldn't stop them from going to the doctor because you were ashamed that they were pointing as the sick person. Right. And you just want to give your child all the tools they need, like as much tools to learn language or play skills or self-regulation. And if that's an adult in the preschool setting, teaching them that, then great. And you know, whatever they need. And there's so much movement in the neurodiversity movement now that it's wonderful in elementary schools. Autism, it's just like a word like there's kids, I have autism in third grade, and they're reading books about children with autism and kids are raising their hand, I have autism, you know, and it's becoming so much more accepted and embraced. And so I think that's where we're headed. And we've come a long way. And so I know that it's still really, really hard. And to think about that. But I see brave parents face it all the time, because that's my job. And I have to deliver that news a lot. And I'm always really proud of parents who call me and, and are like, I'm worried about this, because I know how hard that is. But it's so important to get your kid the help they need if they do need that help in the intervention as early as possible. One of the beautiful things in working with families that I have found is when the parents meet each other, often accidentally. I'm currently doing a social skills group at Old Firehouse, which is why I'm in contact with Alexandra right now. But I used to run them out of my office in San Ramon. And when I get the parents all in the waiting room, while the kids were in session, the parents were having these great conversations with each other, which really normalized for them. Oh, other people are struggling. Other people's children have issues. And I've seen parents, once I had a parent leaving and a parent coming in, and they knew each other. And they were like, what are you doing here? Oh, Oh, I guess same thing I am. And it was like this huge relief. Oh, you're also struggling with these issues. So it can be really, really beneficial for parents to begin to meet other people who are also struggling, whose children have unusual behaviors or um, are more challenging than the average. One thing I wanted to say is another therapist we've worked with in the past been addressing the how long will this take and whatnot has said that it will come down to are the parents and the all the adults, are they all kind of on the same page and supporting and reinforcing each other about how to help this child. In addition to it will also just take how long it takes for the child's brain to unlearn all of the patterns that it's already developed and learn new patterns, which is not at all up to us. We can control as adults how we are interacting with a child. We can talk to the preschool teachers and the therapists and all make sure we're on the same page. But the child too is going to have their own timeline. And so I think it's just something to always remember. We can all work together and all of you are all saying the sooner the better is really important. And just finally, just briefly, because I do think this is going to end up being its own topic. What are some things that are happening now post pandemic? That's what we have right now in all of our preschools, all of these children who were born 2020, 2021, when families weren't 
able to get the support that they would have necessarily gotten on a during pre pandemic time. So what are some things that you're noticing that maybe we can continue to keep an eye out for what I get the most calls from starting in 2021 is big emotions. Mm -hmm. The children have what feel like to their parents outsized emotional reactions to something. And as Carrie was saying, all behavior is communication. So understanding what is the child trying to communicate through this? What are the other channels? Why are the other channels feeling cut off for this child? Why is the child not able to use these other ways to express themselves is one of the key questions. Entirely why that's happened, why these outsized emotional feelings, uh, outbursts, are a a pandemic thing is not entirely clear. One of the things that's happening for children, there are developmental windows when children's brains are open and the ages three to five are really critical for social skills development, for learning. It's when the child begins to move out of the family by themselves as, as the primary social reference and begin to develop a peer group. When I was teaching preschool, I used to say to the other teachers, no such thing as a group of two-year-olds. You can have a lot of two-year-olds. You can have a bunch of two-year-olds, but you don't have a group of two-year-olds because there's no group sense. But by four and five, that's what they're all about. They're all about the group, their friends. They want to get to school and, and start these cool games with their friends. So kids who were born during the pandemic or were in their preschool years during the pandemic, a lot of that was shut down for them. They didn't have a lot of opportunity. And I think in just playing with their friends is one of the ways children learn to manage their emotions because their peers will just be like, why are you behaving like that? I'm going over here. And so they learn to self-soothe, to manage their emotions. And when they're just home with mom and dad, especially when mom and dad are also completely stressed out, their worlds have been turned upside down. The child's stress level goes up, the parent's stress level goes up, and they just get into this spiral. So I think those are some of the things that are impacting why children are the way they are, why coming out of the pandemic, we have particular kinds of struggles. And also, I was seeing a lot, I think this has calmed down some of kids, they were in kindergarten when the shutdown happened. And then all of a sudden, they found themselves needing to act like second graders, and they hadn't had the intervening year and a half. So they were like, we don't know. Um, that's beginning to calm down as kids have had more normal schooling experiences, but that was a major factor for a while. I absolutely see both those things. I work at an elementary school too. And the transitional kindergartners coming in who had no preschool and just came straight into TK and were like, wow, what is going on? All these people in a room. I don't know how to sit on a rug. <laughs> Like, I'm going to push this kid out of the way. So it was a very hard intro to school for them. The other thing I'm seeing is more speech and language delays, because I think the masking, the not being at preschool, not hearing a lot of language, probably just less speech and language exposure for those babies. I don't know. But I am noticing more referrals for speech and language. I do the intakes and I've been doing them for 15 years. And so I, I noticed that more. I wanted to share one resource, the CDC on their website 
has amazing uh, developmental trackers. I can send you the links for you to send out to your parents. But when they updated the milestones a few years back, they also updated their whole website. And it's wonderful for parents because it goes by month. It has checklists. Month and then it gets into years as you get a little bit older. It has checklists of where kids should be in terms of their milestones. And then it has videos of the major milestones of what kids should be doing at age three, age three and a half, age four, and things like joint attention talking about their day, it has communication, adaptive behavior, all videoed. So if parents aren't sure if their child's developing typically or not meeting milestones, I send this out to all my providers too. You've got to know typical development. This is a fabulous website and resource and parents can go check it too. It's just a great way to look like, is my child on track? When someone is recommending an assessment, they can go on there and kind of compare their own findings and be like, oh, I do see my child's not quite where they're supposed to be. So I'll send you that link. I I think it's really fantastic. That sounds great. And then are there any other final words or other things you would want parents to know? The the CDC developmental checklist sounds awesome. I look forward to (laughs) looking at that. But are there other resources that may help as well? I have a slide, a couple slides from a talk I gave recently on speech milestones, because I'm sure you guys get questions about speech. I'm going to try to pull out the slides and send those to you too, because I think speech is a tricky one. Not knowing when sounds are appropriate or not, because sometimes they get calls and they're like, oh, my kid doesn't say the R sound. And I'm like, that's okay. They're not supposed to till they're eight. (laughs) But then other times I'll get calls and they'll be like, my kid's four and they're not talking at all. And I'm like, oh my God, you should have called us like two years ago. (laughs) So I'll send you those slides too, because I think... It's good for preschool teachers to know what's typical for speech. And I have two slides that kind of sum up the amount they should be seeing and how intelligible they should be and the sounds. And I know our teachers have done a lot of, before they got here, obviously taking child development courses and whatnot, but we continue to update our teachers as well, because there's always new information too about new milestones or other things to look at. And yeah, thank you for all of those ideas and resources. And thank you for sharing your information and your expertise. We know this is something that can feel like a lot of stress for families. But I think both of you made it really clear the earlier a child gets help, the better. And it can be really fun and just supporting children wherever they are and getting them to where they need to be can be done and is not a scary thing. And hopefully doesn't always have to take a long, long, long time. And just knowing this is just a resource, another way to support your child. And I think parents get worried about the label and the label is just useful for getting support. And it's not like it's this huge sign that's going to follow the child around wherever they go. It's a way of helping them get the support that they need. And it doesn't say everything about the child and it doesn't say everything about the family. And when families actually reach out and begin getting the help that they need, it's a huge relief. As Carrie said, there isn't a downside of having your child assessed. If they say, hey, everything looks developmentally normal and here's some ideas for how to support your child's continued growth, that's a win-win. Thank you both so much for being here. It was so nice to talk with you and we'll have to talk further about other pandemic issues another time. Thank you for your time. It's really a pleasure. Take care. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you learned a lot from that session. It was definitely informative for us. And we hope it helps all of our families to understand that getting support is something that we all sometimes need at different times of our lives. And especially with young children, being okay with it, 
understanding that if your teacher says it, they are trying to help your child, not label your child, not tell you that your child is too hard to work with. We want to help your child be able to thrive in our preschool. Thank you for listening. And you can, of course, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And we also have an Instagram, Facebook account, and we hope you follow us there too. Have a great rest of your day. 